Welcome to this week's edition of the Sports Hog Podcast. John, it's been a two or three week hiatus since our last show. So, uh, what's new with you? What's good? What's uh, you know? What's good in your world, my friend? Yeah, I haven't had a lot of time to do the podcast. I've been trying to make sure we're doing this on the weekend as opposed to weeknights. So I'm you know not focusing any of my my work time on you know reading articles or you know adjusting notes or anything of that nature. So we've been kind of uh, busy the last few weeks here. Uh, with to a music fest the beginning of of June in Lexington to see uh, Zach Bryan and Tyler Childers among other artists that we were cool. also there to see but it was a two day fest and uh, on a horse uh, race track a horse racing track the uh, the Red Mile there in Lexington I'm not sure if you ever uh, watched any races at the uh, um, on TV from the Red Mile or anything like that um, but then, I don't gamble anymore so well, I know races. but I'll talk about you know your 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 uh, your previous life of gambling yeah i just if i do i don't really remember what where it was at exactly you know what i mean i was just more focused on the cash flow at that point in in time but still very cool for sure and then um the uh this past weekend we actually were back in in southern illinois for a wedding from uh, able to uh stop at molly's pint and have a few of the world's greatest beer from yesterday but we are we are back i have today day off for today's holiday, Juneteenth. And, uh, awesome. you know, not really done, doing a whole lot of cooking either recently. I think the only thing I've really made myself was uh, these Italian sausage hand-rolled meatballs that I made last week for our pasta dinner. Well, I mean, that does sound good. I'm glad that you've got to go out and have a couple different experiences over the last few weekends. Always good to go back to Molly's Pine, of course, and reconnect, have a couple pints up there. As you know, used to fe- uh, feature many of their beers, of course, on the podcast. Uh, you know what, Sean? I haven't been doing too much. I got into summer break for five days before I started summer school. Oh, boy. So, well, that's all right. I'm going to, I'm working with uh, the Sped Kids this uh, summer, so that's it's kind of nice, you know, we do like a water park day, we're going to take them to like a little, you know, Hollywood like theme park so they can play arcade games and go bowling and all that type of fun stuff, so not too bad, and not a bad daily rate either for taking some kids essentially, you know, and to do, you know, to play games essentially all day, so yeah, why not exactly, it gives me something to do, and it's not all summer, it's only three week uh, engagement on this one, so I'm done right before, uh, you know, the, uh, the weekend of the 4th, so that's kind of nice so that's okay, kind of nice good. yeah very so, good yeah anyways i say uh let's get a rolling with this podcast let's get into some of the uh breaking news we talked about john morant last time and i believe the league has already uh officially handed down their suspension correct so the nba they were going to wait until the uh the conclusion of the nba finals to lay down the hammer on john morant for conduct detrimental to the league which they resulted in a 25 game suspension uh, after Morant was seen on a friend's Instagram live flashing a handgun for the second time this year, the first time which he served an eight-game suspension for brandishing a firearm while intoxicated in a Denver area nightclub back in March. And uh, his return to play following the suspension also comes with conditions. Commissioner Adam Silver 
had this to say uh, in a statement regarding those conditions. For job, basketball needs to take a back step at this time. Prior to his return to play, he will be required to formulate and fulfill a program with the league that directly addresses the circumstances that led him to repeat this destructive behavior. So pretty much he's going to have to uh, work on a a program to show he's trying to uh, better his his behaviors or something like that. It's it's, it's all kind of uh, loosely described though, really, but uh, do I think it's fair? I guess so, since it is a second suspension. I didn't think a full season or a half season would have been necessarily fair since no laws were broken. It's just it's just not a good look to have, you know, leaving, you know, impressionable, uh, you know, um, behavior like that on people that might be looking up to him and, and you know, from the NBA fandom. But Max, what uh, what's your take on this? I'm right with, how about this? I'm right exactly with what where you stand on that. And this is what uh, Adam Silver, the commissioner, had to say. And it pretty much backs up what you just said. And he said, look, Jai's decision uh, to once again wield a fired arm on social media is alarming and disconcerting, uh, given his similar conduct in March, for which he already was suspended eight games. The potential for other young people to emulate Jai's conduct is particularly concerning. Under these circumstances, we believe a suspension of 25 games is appropriate and makes uh, clear that engaging in reckless and irresponsible behavior with guns will not be tolerated. Because, right, like you said, he didn't do anything necessarily illegal, but he is being reckless here. So, yeah, I think, you know, 20 20 games essentially is a quarter of the season, so you're looking at about, what, with five more games, about 30% of the season. I think that sends a a really good message, and I actually think John Morant is a good guy, and I think he can uh, come back from this. Essentially, Sean, I, you know, he's young enough; he still can do the right thing going forward. Exactly. Let's see if we can get him in the right type of protocol so that he can start uh, making those wiser choices moving forward. I agree. Uh, I think it's all we really had though on the John Morant situation. Like I said, I I didn't think it was as big of a deal as everyone made it out to be. Yes, the impressionable youth that uh, you know he's doing that in front of but still anyways moving on the we teased this i believe on our last um show but um michael jordan has agreed to sell his majority stake ownership in the Charlotte hornets to a group led by gabe plotkin and rick schnall schnall's the minority owner of the atlanta hawks and plotkin's the minority owner of the hornets and they will be the franchise's governors once the nba completes its vetting process MJ will continue to oversee basketball ops through this Thursday's draft and the start of free agency on July 1st. And once the sale is complete, Jordan will keep a minority ownership and maintain a presence with the franchise as well. And, you know, I, I again, and you remember what I said last time. I think he's stepping down. And again, or well, you know, again, he's going into the minority uh, role here. And I think he'll do it for a season or two. And again, I, I think he's going to come either to the Bulls or somewhere or go somewhere else um, and get a crew of investors. And I think, you know, again, I made this point last time. I won't go on the huge ramble, but Jerry Reinsdorf is only getting older. He's a man all about 
about loyalty. If you were truly loyal, you'd be loyal to the person who brought you six NBA championships and skyrocketed your net worth, you know, from buying these teams. Uh, you know, the right right about $3 billion won't buy just the Bulls or, or the Sox. But I think, again, Sean, if he gets the right group of investors, uh, I, I, I why not go big? Why not come back to Chicago where you're going to be loved, you're going to be treated, you know, like a godsend here? And I really do think uh, putting the Bulls back on the map is something that he'd be interested to, especially if he could, own, again, uh, be a uh, partial owner of the White Sox, too, with his investing core, like, you know, his love for baseball. I I think this is a perfect opportunity for Jordan and a perfect opportunity for Jerry, who's, you know, only getting older. And I mean, again, what are you going to do? Give the kid, you know, give Michael the franchise? Come on, your kid's worth enough. You know what I mean? Like, do the right thing here. I think it'd be cool to see at least. I think it's something that potentially could happen. You know, we'll, you know, obviously anything Michael Jordan does, you know, gets reported on. So, yeah, exactly. Um, one thing that we haven't talked about here yet was the NBA Finals, which it's yes. for me after all the traveling I've been doing, it just feels like a, like a lifetime ago already. But it's been one week since the Denver Nuggets outlasted Miami Heat 94-89 in Game Five to bring the franchise their first ever championship. It wasn't a very great game, but uh, Jokic led the way. He was not derailed any by in, in any way. It was like 28 points and 16 rebounds along, or, or might be. Uh, off on that one, I can't, if I'm not remembering correctly. But right. uh, Jokic became the first player in history to lead the league in points, which he had 600 rebounds, 269 in an assist, 190 in a single postseason. Not surprisingly, he won the Bill Russell Trophy as the NBA Finals MVP and award that is certainly more meaning to him than the two overall MVPs he won in 2021 and 2022, and the one that escaped him as well, uh, you know, this past season. Uh, I just thought it was really funny. He got the NBA uh, uh, MVP trophy, and then he gave it to the equipment manager who stored it in his office, and then it went missing. I don't know if they ever found it, but the the (laughs) next day when Jokic was having his MVP finals, um, or finals MVP interview, the, I don't remember what the reporter was, um, who it was. She had said, though, that in all of her years of covering the NBA Finals and interviewing the MVPs, that he was the first one to ever show up without it before. And he was like, oh, yeah, I, I, I uh, left it in, the, in, in this guy's office and then I can't find it. And then <laughs> but another thing I thought, of, he's, just a, he's just a really down-to-earth guy, uh, Jokic, and he didn't really care for the parade before the parade happened. And he was like, when is the parade? And there, he said it was, was going to be on Thursday. And he was like, oh, no, I need to go home. I don't want to stay here. <laughs> but then he he uh, he retracted those words at the parade. He's like, "This is awesome." He used uh, he used some other words that I just won't use on the uh, on the show here today. But it was very funny. Good choice. I thought it was uh, a, a it was a great thing for the city of Denver to um, you know it was their, fir- their their city's you know first ever um, NBA championship you know since they were you know even in the ABA. Yeah, no, that's correct, and obviously uh, owner uh, Stan Kroenke, who uh, owns the Avalanche, who won the Cup last year, if you remember, so this is huge for the city of Denver, um, you know, getting to have that uh, trophy now in the arena two years in a row, obviously Stanley Cup, now uh, an NBA Finals trophy, like you said, the first one ever, and uh, Stan had this to say, he said, the, uh, the fans in this town are unbelievable. 
Uh, it means a lot to get uh, this done here. Obviously, you know, like you said, it's been 47 years uh, without that title. So for them to finally get that, you know, again, it's a, it's a huge kudos. And they've been, you know, five straight years, Sean, they went to the conference finals. You know, the last four years and up to this year, you know, they lost. So, I mean, they really were super, super close. And they really did hit, uh, they really did hit the marquee moment here. Uh, as for the Heat, my friend, as you well know, that they survived a loss in the play-in tournament and became only the second number eight seed to make the finals. They, uh, you know, they go out with uh, with the bump. You know, they lose in five games, but I still thought they uh, that actually the last game was one of the better games. Ninety-four to eighty-nine was the final, and the last few minutes were really, uh, in particular, great. And Eric Spolstra had this to say: He said those last three or four minutes felt like a, a scene out of a movie uh, two teams in the center of the ring throwing haymaker after haymaker and it's not necessarily the shot making it's the efforts I really did think it was a great last game again just to win by five for uh, for Denver but uh, the Heat I thought you know played as good as they could again for being you know uh, a lower you know way lower seed well, yeah it was an exciting series I I wish it would have gone a little bit longer you know so you had more like sure. you know back and forth but um, you know it was also cool you know just to see, you know, Joe Kitchigate that for, for Denver. The, him and Murray just are, are a, a fantastic tandem. They're probably, right now, they're probably the, like the best one-two punch together right now. I agree. In the NBA. So, um, I think they'll be the favorites in the West, and I think, you know, again, another good year of coaching, you know, in the East. You never know what the Heat could do with Eric Spolstra, who, uh, actually, we're going to get to later on trivia, my friend. A little uh, question on him. Okay. But I say let's wrap this up here. On the flip side of this break, Stanley Sean, Cup. we're going to... Oh, we do have Stanley Cup. Yes. We also have the Stanley Cup we you didn't talk please. about. So I'll give a quick recap yes. of it. The Golden Knights are the Stanley Cup champions in just their sixth year as a franchise and did so in rather dominant fashion. The Knights outscored the Panthers 26-12 to 12 in five games, taking wow. one and two, uh, games one and two, five to two and seven to two respectively. The Panthers squeaked out an overtime win in game three, three to two. The Knights would get a three to two edge in game four and then put on a clinic in game five in front of the home crowd to seal the deal. The Knights three blowout absolute just just they just took it to him that day it was it was uh not even fair <laughs> no you know what it it was uh it was it was uh, this was a boring stanley yeah Cup. i'm not gonna lie it just was well, yeah. it was not great to watch i and you know me i love the finals normally you know i love the stanley cup playoffs i thought this was just kind of a weaker year in general um you know i know a lot of people well boston you know they were supposed to win they got knocked out besides the first round it really wasn't super super duper exciting in my opinion this year so i'm kind of i'm kind of glad that the nhl season's over as you know our beloved blackhawks will be on the clock here for the nhl draft and uh what was it i actually think that it would be just the day after your birthday uh coming up here so and for your birthday you're gonna get counter bedard so look at that there we How go exciting. there we go Anyways, though, congratulations to Vegas. As you know, Sean, it is really hard to become an expansion team and be super successful off the bat. But here's a couple notable ones. Uh, If you remember, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, their first season was 1968. They won a title in 71, so it only took three years. That's the the, uh, quickest it's ever been. Then the Diamondbacks, of course, 98, their opening season in 2001 was Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling. 
Uh, you know, pretty much, you know, the co-MVPs of that World Series in 01 did it in four years. The, the Ravens did it in five years when they moved to Baltimore in 96. They won, of course, that first Super Bowl with Ray Lewis. Uh, the Oilers, of course, doing it in five years, too. 79, their inaugural season. In 84, you know, as soon as uh, Wayne Gretzky came around, they made that franchise relevant. God, I hate saying this one out loud. I almost want to throw this one off the list. But the Florida Marlins, 97, you know, of course, beating the then Cleveland Indians in the World Series. Uh, 93, their first season. And then, obviously, you know, 97 to win their first World Series before they do it just six years later. Oh, obviously, ousting my Cubs in the NLCS that year. But oh, uh, it's just an interesting list. Yeah, <laughs> just an interesting list of teams that kind of did it quickly. Uh, you know, to get to that uh, first championship oh so quickly as this uh, expansion team. There we go. All right, very good. But anyways, I say now I can finally wrap this up. Thank you, Sean Conway. I appreciate that reminder. So now let's take a quick break here. And on the flip side, we're going to talk everything uh, NFL, including some super super bling bling hair on the super uh, on the Sportsholic podcast with myself, Sean Conway. And uh, taking us out to break is always with Jason James. This time with his uh, two. Out the doghouse.
Welcome back to the Sports of Hogs podcast. That was Jason James with his song Out the Doghouse. And as Max was alluding to before the break, there was some bling bling to talk about indeed. The Kansas City Chiefs were awarded their Super Bowl rings in a private ceremony this past week. And they contain quite a significant amount of bling on them, as Max alluded to again. According to Jostens, the company that made the Chiefs Super Bowl rings, each one contains 613 diamonds, 609 round diamonds, and four Marquise diamonds, and 35 rubies, totaling 16.1 carats. And I did see Pat Mahomes said that he uh, doesn't plan on wearing it too much, but keeping it in a safe, because that's what he works for, and he would hate to lose it. And I, I can understand, because uh, those have a lot of uh, a lot of bling to it, Max, right? Literally, let me break down the bling bling ring, my friend. So it's encrusted, uh, like you said, so let me literally, you told the amount of numbers, now this is how it's actually going to be. This is is the the most, by the way, the most beautiful championship ring, Sean, I have ever seen across at least the four major sports. I have never seen a ring this beautiful. Um, The uh, team's logo will have 16 rubies uh, representing the number of divisions titles for the franchise Uh, it's going to have three Lombardi trophies each set up with a marquee a diamond at the top obviously representing the team's third Super Bowl championship there's going to be a total of 16 baguette diamonds at the base representing the 16 players who scored a touchdown in the 2022 uh, regular season there's going to be a red drop back that features 19 rubies and uh, 38 diamonds as the Chiefs scored 38 points in the Super Bowl, which was the 57th Super Bowl, 1938, obviously 57. So uh, 44 diamonds along the top, representing the deficit in terms of total points the Chiefs had to overcome in their most two Super Bowl uh, championship runs. And this is the most cool part of the bling bling. A removable top of the ring that can turn into a pendant modeled to look like Arrowhead Stadium. Now that is cool. Cool. Nice. Yeah, another thing I thought was that was cool with the uh, the Chiefs, um, you know, Super Bowl um, celebration tour this summer was the stop at the White House, and <laughs> they were uh, um, getting together for you know a picture after Biden had made his uh, his remarks at the podium, and Travis Kelsey storms the podium and starts about to give a speech, and he's like, I always wanted to do this, and then Patrick Mahomes comes out of nowhere, he's like, ah, no, 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 sorry, sorry about <laughs> that, guys. That's right, I did see that, actually, that was pretty funny, that very was actually funny. really funny, so no, that's Chelsea cool. brothers are, are a very funny duo, they have their podcast, I'm not sure if you ever watch any of their stuff, but they're very entertaining guys, so they're always fun to watch, even though I don't like the, uh, I don't like the, the Chiefs. I don't mind the Eagles, but I don't like the Chiefs that much. I don't have a problem with the Chiefs, man. I like Patrick Mahomes. I think he's pretty cool. But 
I, I like Andy Reid. I like Andy Reid. See, that's what I would go for. I like Mahomes and I, uh, and I fans. like Reed. It's Chiefs I'm, fans. Fans, you're right, that are kind of more annoying. You're right, I'll agree. But I, it's a great, it, the history of the AFC, obviously, they're one of the greater teams in that, and obviously well, now sure. most recently. So, Sean, they're a team to me that does not obviously need to improve their roster too much. You don't really have to do too much with Patrick Mahomes. But at this point, you know, we're post-June 1. We obviously got the draft done. The first round of free agency has been long, long over with. Who do you, right now, do you see as a team that's kind of most improved this offseason? Well, I know you had mentioned an AFC North team, and I would agree they, they have improved uh, tremendously here. And you'll go into why you believe the uh, the Steelers are the most improved team. But sure. I think it's the Ravens. You know, they okay. already had, you know, Lamar Jackson is a very dangerous dual threat. But then they added OBJ. They drafted Zay Flowers. So those are two, you know, talented wide receivers to add to the wide receiver core. And they already had a pretty decent defense to, uh, you know, to, to start with. So, I mean... I, f- I feel like they're, they're they're ready. It's going to be a very tough division in the AFC North. I agree with that, and that will be the toughest division in uh, all of football this year. And that's not surprising that a Jim Harbaugh uh, team, or I'm sorry, a John Harbaugh team and a Mike Tomlin team would be somehow the, the teams to improve themselves most in the offseason by any means, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why I'll say uh, the Steelers here, uh, Sean, is for a couple reasons. I really like how they re-signed uh, DeMonte Kaze, their safety, do a two-year deal. Uh, brought back Larry uh, Joby on a three-year deal and signed Nate uh, Herbig to a two-year deal to play guard for them. Uh, obviously, adding offensive line was a huge priority um, this year as they added Broderick Jones with their first-round pick uh, this year as well uh, to pair with Herbig on that offensive line. You know, during the draft, uh, they, uh, they did a pick. Pick swap with the uh, Rams in the seventh round, and they acquired Allen Robinson out of that deal. Now, I know Robinson's not the stud receiver he used to be, but he's definitely a really, really good third option, if not a back-end uh, number two type guy. And you're trying to develop Kenny Pickett this year, so that makes sense. Uh, you take Joey Porter Jr. Uh, with that uh, Chase Claypool pick that they got from Chicago, 32nd overall. I think he's going to be a lockdown corner. A few picks later, they in the second round, they take Keanu Benson, who I think will be an absolute beast at the defensive tackle position. And uh, they took uh, Darnell Washington, another uh, the tight end out of Georgia in the third round, who I think, Sean, will be a solid tight end uh, for Pickett, again, to work with. So it's not surprising that these two teams are most improved and when you got to play against Joe Burrow and Deshaun Watson two times you might want to improve that uh, uh, you know your, your roster well I mean and even the Bengals improved their roster in the most important spot they added a stud left tackle to be his blindside protector I think it, what was that Orlando Orlando, Orlando Brown, Brown Jr. Orlando Brown Jr. yeah there we go so I mean they're good I mean we're, jury's still out on, on how, uh, how well the Browns are going to do one Watson, I don't think it's going to be much different than what the uh, the Texans were with under him, but. Jury's still out. Right, jury's still out, exactly. So that's why it will be such an interesting uh, division in uh, football this year. 
Uh, unfortunately, Sean, to end our black here, we have a couple uh, deaths around the NFL. I'll go first. Uh, this one, uh, really sad. Ray Lewis III, uh, the son of uh, two-time Super Bowl champion Ray Lewis, uh, he passed away of a, a, a suspected overdose, but just at the uh, tender age of 28, Sean, so right around our age here. Um, it's really sad. Obviously, overdose, that's no good. Um, he played college football at the U for a little bit and then he uh, transferred around he played at uh, Coastal Carolina um, and had 12 games at cornerback with 19 tackles before he would uh, end up his career at uh, Virginia Union back in 2017 where he would register uh, 37 tackles but our hearts go out to the Lewis family as that is obviously uh, a tough loss for uh, a legend yeah, a tough loss indeed, especially at a very young age like that. I got a couple of, um, um, you know, former NFL players, uh, you know, way back in the day who died at, at, at an older age. Uh, still sad, though. Uh, one of those being former New York Giants wide receiver Homer Jones, the first player to spike the football after a touchdown, died Wednesday after a battle with lung cancer. He was 82. The big play wideout is still considered the all-time leader with a career average of 22.3 yards per, uh, per catch. Jones was, um, you know, he did invent the, uh, the known as the inventor of the spike after he uh, had scored his first ever touchdown in the league. Uh, it was uh, an 89-yard touchdown catch against the Philadelphia Eagles on October 7th, 1965. And then uh, another thing that I thought was interesting with the uh, when he was with Cleveland on September 21st, 1970, he returned a kickoff for 94 yards for a touchdown against the New York Jets on the debut of Monday Night Football. So that was uh, pretty, oh, that's cool. pretty interesting cool. there. And obviously he spiked it there too. Uh, and then another the other death would be. Hall of Fame offensive lineman Bob Brown, labeled the most aggressive lineman that ever played by yes. John Madden. He had died Friday night at the age of 81. Uh, it, there was a reports that he uh, he had a stroke back in April. So I'm assuming it had something to do with the complications from dealing with that at that sure. age. Uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame announced his death on Saturday. Brown was inducted to the Hall of Fame in 2004. He was a five-time All-Pro who was drafted number two overall by the Eagles in 1964. He started 124 of 126 games for the Eagles, Los Angeles Rams, and the Raiders in Oakland, where he had played for Madden as well. And uh, I think that's all we really had, though, here. So we're going to toss it to another break. On the flip side of this, we're going to dive into the MLB. You've been listening to the Sports Hawks podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. You can't buy a best friend. You can love them, walk them, pet them, and care for them, whether they want you to or not. You can take a picture or 50. You can fly to the moon, travel the world, or just stay in bed. You can't buy a best friend like that, but you can adopt one. There are millions of pets waiting for a best friend just like you. Help us save them all at bestfriends.org. We're back here on the Sportsholic Podcast, Sean. We congratulated the town of Las Vegas earlier for winning their first Stanley Cup uh, trophy ever. Obviously, they did it in a very short period of time in six years. Well, they really have now won the uh, baseball sweepstakes here as well, my friend. As uh, Nevada Governor uh, Joe Lombardo signed a bill um, proposing 380 
$80 million in public funding for the construction of the Las Vegas ballpark. The plan, again, will call for a 30,000-seat retractable roof facility on the Vegas Strip. The A's are going to receive $180 million in state tax credits, which they're allowed to sell to other businesses for cash. And uh, they're going to get an additional $120 million in county-issued bonds and $25 million in county credit. Uh, the A's, my friend, their current lease at the Coliseum runs through all of next season at the end of 2024. And the A's have been suggested targeting their uh, open in Las Vegas for the 2028 season. This does bring a little bit of a concern. Um, as A's president Dave uh, Cable said in April, the franchise has not decided on its plans for the 2025, 26, and 27 campaigns. Uh, Cable did uh, suggest that the organization could look into a temporary lease at the Coliseum. But as you all know right now, Sean, the animosity between the franchise and the fans, that could make that very unlikely. The only good news for them is that their AAA affiliate affiliate team, the Aviators, they do play in Las Vegas, and that could be a potential uh, temporary host for the Major League Club. Yeah, I mean, the, the the size of the field is the only thing that really matters. They wouldn't be able to get nearly as much money drawn in from, from fans, you know, to uh, generate the kind of revenue, but... That's just something that they'll have to expect if they do that. I disagree with that, actually. Actually, I'll disagree with that. I understand playing at a minor league facility, but if you're only averaging 8,500 sure. fans in Oakland, if you could get, you know, 9,000, 10,000 fans even coming to the, to the AAA ballpark, you're making probably right around the same. I agree. I hate to say it. Just for the low attendance. That's the only reason I make that argument is because they've been consistently the lowest or in the top oh, three yeah. lowest it, the last it, decade. Terrible, so. But, uh, you know, they actually they, – the fans did show it up. They're, they're trying to say that they're not – bad fans they're just tired of the ownership and their bad handling of the team yes. that makes it unwatchable baseball and I, I can sympathize as a Sox fan and uh, they they did so by doing a reverse boycott where they packed the Coliseum for its largest crowd of the season and I would say probably their largest crowd at a regular season game they've had in years because it was 27 it was over 27,700 fans in attendance and this group had raised $30,000 and distributed 13,000 different sell the team shirts and they were packed they had like absolutely packed the stadium for it and in the fifth inning they had staged their their protest by having the first the top of the first inning start dead silent no fans were making noise obviously there was you know some chatters here and there you can't control everyone but very eerily sure. quiet similar to like covid level uh, of quiets until the first at bat Okay. Um, had happened, and then before the play was even over, they were still throwing the ball from from left field to third. The sell, the, the deafening sell, the team chance broke out, and you, it was even hard almost to hear the broadcast. It was just sell the team. Uh, so obviously, they would rather them sell the team than to move. Um, but obviously, it's going to be a very tough sell to any uh, investors. 
Yeah, I mean, at this point now, I hate to say it, Oakland, you're going to be looking at it as a possible, uh, you know, expansion city yourself at this point, if you know, you know. uh, But no, this deal is done. I do feel awful because I do think the Oakland Athletics fans as a group are a very proud group. However, you know, again, you also can't have 8,500 people show up at your stadium. You know, that's why, you know, eventually I think, you know, the Tampa Bay uh, uh, Rays will eventually be moving somewhere too. You know, you cannot continuously just be, you know, having under 10,000 fans in a Major League Baseball game. It just, it doesn't work. But I do feel bad for those Imagine fans. they move to Oakland and they go by the Oakland Rays instead of the Oakland A's. <laughs> they rebrand oh, to be Sean. green and yellow. Uh, Everyone just adds an just R to everything they already have. <laughs> right. Oh, that's too good. That's too good. Uh, anyways, I think you got a quick uh, note on a uh, major injury. Yes, so Aaron Judge, um, he has been out since, um, I believe it was earlier this June, on June 2nd or 3rd. And he, uh, yeah, it was June 3rd, yes. Uh, he was, he crashed into the outfield uh, while fielding a, uh, a catch. And he sprained his toe. Um, his right toe, and he received another platelet-rich plasma injection on his sprained toe on Friday, said uh, manager, uh, New York Yankee manager Aaron Boone. Uh, and he says the he starts to, he's continuing to make progress. That's sidelined him for the second time this season. Uh, and like I mentioned, he's uh, he's been out since June third when the New York had a six three win over the Dodgers. Uh, and that, that happened in the eighth inning as well. That's all I have on that story, Max. Well, and he was obviously MVP one, and when you're winning MVP and you set an American League home run record, you know, you want to be on the fastest track so that you can, you know, play for the iconic franchise you do. The guy that I still thought should have been the MVP, that's Shohei Otani, my friend. I'll still make that argument. He should have been the MVP last year, and he's definitely going to be making the case again for himself this year. Here's our Otani bit for the week before I close this out. Shohei Otani, my friend, currently is hitting 301 versus MLB pitchers. MLB batters are hitting just a buck 78 against Otani. And according to the Elias Sports Bureau, Otani is the first player to have a share of the Major League Baseball lead in home runs hit and opponents batting average against at least minimum uh, 70 innings pitch at the uh, end of any given day since 1900. So, he just keeps cracking along on that list. And, again, we'll definitely be in that MVP uh, uh, race later on for the season. But let's uh, hop off this train here, Sean. And I got an NBA uh, trivia uh, question here for you just on the flip side of this break. You've been listening to the Sportsology Podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. There are a few things Max or I like more than tossing back a few beers and watching the game. But don't worry, if you happen to miss the game, we've got your back. Tune in to the Sports Hawk Podcast with myself, Max Zucker, alongside Sean Conway, with new episodes available weekly on SoundCloud. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with new shows and our occasional takes on things happening in the sports world throughout the week. And we're back here on the Sportsaholic Podcast. Sean, if you remember, I said I would leave us off with a trivia question that does involve uh, Eric Spolstra, the head coach of the uh, Miami Heat. Now, for, believe it or not, 15 consecutive seasons. 
So his 15th consecutive season, Sean's ranks fourth by an NBA coach again with just a singular franchise. So can you tell me the co- uh, the top three coaches with the most years with, again, a singular franchise? Okay, yeah, be Greg Russell. Greg, uh, Greg Popovich. Thank you. You were thinking, uh, I don't know where there, but yes, Greg Popovich, 27 years with the Spurs, number one all time. I have no idea where Russell came. Oh my gosh. I have notes on my notepad in front of me from work, and I was, the kids, the, the athlete's name was Russell, and I was blanking oh. out on it. That's where, okay, Greg Popovich. Okay. And then uh, let's see. Oh, Southern Illinois native Jerry Sloan. Jerry Sloan, 23 years with the Utah uh, Jazz. All right. And the last one, got to be the coach of the Celtics back in the day. Red Red Arborbach. There you go. Thank you. There you go. Excellent. I was about to say, say, who's that uh, that quarterback for the Bears in the 40s? Red, um, uh, Red Grange. Red Grange, there we go. <laughs> no, that would have been the wrong sport. No, you got the right red in this situation. Uh, so very good, sir. Uh, 16 years with the Celtics. So uh, very interesting list there. I thought when I saw that, we would mention that one on the air. Uh, what'd you, uh, what are you sipping at? Don't have it with me. I wish I could have brought a growler back up with but... I did not have that capability this past weekend to uh, transport a growler safely. But obviously, being at Molly's Pint this last weekend, I've got a plug of Molly's beer. That was amazing. It was great seeing friends, but it was amazing having the world's greatest beer once again. Because, I mean, <laughs> I've, had, I've had good beers out here, but nothing holds a candle to Nick's beard down here. I, I mean, love Nick and Molly's. They really, really do put on uh, a, a good display. They are good people. And, yes, you are correct, man. That is some of the best damn beer you will drink. And this this one was a beer I never had when I was there. It was, a, it was an IPA that they had not made while I was a Southern Illinois resident. And that is their Simcoe IPA. And it was a 90s West Coast style IPA. Okay. So it was like a, it was kind of hazy. Uh, it was it was light hoppy uh, and just a really tasty beer overall. Always a tasty beer there. I don't remember what the ABV was. I've got to be honest. I I had probably more than I should have this past weekend. Um, so can't remember all the facts of the beer, but it was a good beer. And I do have to plug it again. Well, it sounds like you, you had a, a pretty good uh, weekend there, my friend. So <laughs> I was acting like I was a college student, even though I spent more time as an adult outside of college in Carbondale at that point. <laughs> Yeah, yeah no, that's all right. Was... Sometimes you go back to the old stamping grounds and you just kind of relive. <laughs> relive. That was my first time doing that, you know, since since the move. So it was it was a hard drive home yesterday. But oh god, I bet we have we have that. Max, what did we miss this week? Uh, a little more basketball news. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw this, but uh, CP3 is on his uh, way out of. Uh, I did out of Phoenix. He learned about this. He learned about it while on a flight to New York to go on Good Morning America. That is actually absolutely uh, correct on that. And he was very surprised, obviously. Um, So uh, he is going there. 
for Bradley, uh, essentially, it's it's essentially a little bit of a salary uh, dump here for the uh, Wizards, who are going to send Bradley Beal and a few other uh, second round picks, and it sounds like a swap pick. So really, it's a, a salary offset, as I believe Beal and CP3 are essentially making the same amount of money this year. But you think about the next uh, three years after this year, Bradley Beal set to make 50, 52 or fifty three, and then fifty seven million in that last year of his uh, deal, so uh, I, I'm not too big on this. I think the Suns are really um, really uh, F this one up, to be honest with you. You're getting a guy in Beal who absolutely can be a beast, as we know well known, is still only 29 years of age, Sean, but has only uh, been, in, you know, he's not uh, played in a full season in four consecutive years, so he's, yeah. you know, averaged, you know, he's been missing about 31 games a year the last four years, on average. So I think this is, you think about Kevin Durant's recent injury history, I think this is a really big boomer bust season uh, upcoming for the Suns. Uh, last two things here uh, before uh, I let you uh, take us away here for a minute. But the uh, six-time All-Star, Joey Votto, a familiar face, uh, will finally be uh, set to make his 2023 uh, debut for the Reds. He's coming off the 60-day injured list. It will be nice to have the 39-year-old first baseman uh, back in the lineup for uh, the Reds, who are currently actually a second-place team. So it'll be nice to have that bat back in the lineup. And uh, the Pirates, they are calling up Henry Davis. If you remember, was the first overall selection, Sean, in the 2021 draft. Uh, he is uh, doing pretty good in AAA, hitting 286 with a 432 on base percentage, uh, over 45 plate appearances currently. So a uh, couple debuts there. Uh, what do you got for us? Well, uh, don't really have much going on in the UFC or in the boxing world. I would say the biggest fight from this past weekend would be my liver against my decisions. <laughs> um, but that's all we really had. There's not really anything this past weekend or you know this upcoming weekend that was really worth note uh, for the most part. Uh, but yeah, outside of that, maybe we'll have... A back-to-back weeks with a show. I mean, maybe, maybe not. We'll see how how next weekend feels. <laughs> it will be my. It will be the weekend of my birthday, so you know, I'll maybe do some more things. But Wednesday is just not a cool day to have a birthday in the first place. And also, I'm turning thirty. Nothing to watch to celebrate anymore. The numerical numbers is catching up to how my body feels. No, absolutely. No, absolutely. And obviously, if we don't celebrate your birthday in the podcast next weekend, uh, early uh, happy birthday to you. Um, real quick, you mentioned today, Sean, at the beginning of the show that it is Juneteenth. Uh, obviously, it is a day, uh, you know, that we have to sit here and, uh, you know, show our, uh, you know, respect and whatnot. And I just, you know, sometimes I do like to end with a quote, and I thought of Martin Luther King, obviously, today. And he said at one point, darkness uh, cannot drive out darkness. Only uh, light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So my simple message of the day is just to love. You know, don't be a hater. Be a lover. That's, you know, kind of my simple message for the day. 
I, I was surprised. Uh, there's there's people who are like mad to have off work today. <laughs> yeah, you have the day off, my guy. It's a paid holiday. Right, relax. You don't have to work. Right. Don't be a hater. Don't be a hater. Be a lover. There's flip no the script. To hate. Flip the script, exactly. America. It's time to flip the script. Anyways, let's flip the script on this uh, show today, Sean. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, hopefully we'll regain here next week on the Sports Talk Podcast. But sign off for Sean Conway. I'm Max Zucker. You've been listening to. Sports Talk Podcast.